When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk from Pluto.com. This is a good one. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means. Stephen, we are drafting the 10, and maybe we'll go a few more if we still really want to. The 10 most important Ohio State football recruits since Urban Meyer got here. So that is starting in 2012, and it takes us through the 2022 recruiting class. But just as a heads up, like, 23 and 24 also on the board in my mind. Those are allowed. So it's that would mean that would then make it 13 recruiting classes worth of guys starting in 2012, the most important. And I will say, Stephen, this discussion, I believe, started on air during a podcast that has not aired yet. (laughs) So. We have what I think is one of the better podcasts we've done in quite some time, which is a Buckeye fly effect that we did before Nathan went on leave. That is the three of us discussing what if CJ Stroud didn't come to Ohio State. And we have what that means for Ohio State's program. We have what it means for Ryan Day. We have what it means for Kyle McCord, Jack Miller, and Quinn Ewers. And then we have what it means for C.J. Stroud and where he might have wound up. It is a really good Buckeye fly effect, I think. But in the process of that discussion, Stephen, I think we came around to the idea of like, man, C.J. Stroud is one of the more important recruits in recent Ohio State history. Huh, maybe we should do a draft of that. And you said, hey, I've been planning to write this anyway and write the 10 most important. And so we said, hey, we got to do that. So just looking ahead, that pod is still saved because we did some pre-recorded stuff knowing that Nathan was going to be gone. That's coming. That's going to come and be dropped in the, in the feed in the next two weeks. So look forward to that. It's really good. But we also on that pod are going to say something like, Hey, we should do a draft. And that draft is what we're doing right now today. But CJ kind of got us thinking. Yeah. Um, to be, it actually goes back a little bit further than that. We were having a conversation about Paris Johnson, mm. like, a year and a half ago. And I think I brought up on that pod. I think he's one of the most important commits of the Ryan day era. And that's where like the idea, at least in my head had started. And then it got put on backlog because, you know, that's how things work at cleaver.com. Sometimes you have 30 million ideas and your favorite ones have to get put off because you have to cover football games. Um, But yeah, here we are finally doing it. Um, I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be fun to draft, but also here are the reasons why certain guys get drafted because it's not just, oh, this guy was important because he was the number seven player in the country. No, it's like what it meant for the program and what's happened because that guy committed. 
So for instance, so we are we are doing this starting with the Urban Meyer era through today because mm-hmm. Urban Meyer, as we all know, changed Ohio State recruiting. If we were doing this for, say, the Jim Tressel era and you were doing a top 10, you would have somebody like Maurice Claret in there because he was a huge recruit in the state of Ohio. He was incredibly impactful on a national championship team. Man, that guy's a big deal. It's a big deal that Trestle landed it. You would have a guy, you would have guys like AJ Hawk and Troy Smith on a Trestle list. Hey, these are under the radar guys that they decided to take. And boy, didn't they turn out to be great players. You'd probably have Ted Ginn Jr. on there because, or maybe Dante Whitner. Dante Whitner was kind of the first, but who starts that Glenville pipeline? That they're really important. It's kind of Troy, then Dante, then Ted. Boom, 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 in order. Two, three, four, oh, two, oh, three, oh, four. Hey, they're all important, but like what it's not just how good they were, and all three were excellent, but they also started something, right? You'd have Terrell Pryor in there because Terrell Pryor, we know how it ended, but but getting him, the act of getting him reinvigorated that era of Jim Trestle. Like so it's as you said, it's the the individual impact, like a really good player who helps Ohio State win games, absolutely can be on this list. But what he represents, does he start a trend? Is it the kind of victory either at a position for a certain assistant geographically? Did they beat another school head to head? Was there something that happened with the recruitment, Stephen, that even goes beyond the player's success on the field? All those things are at play when we talk about most important recruits since 2012. That was really well said. Um. It almost deserved to have some like music behind it as you were given that. Oh, maybe I I got a little time to process this because we're recording this a couple days early. I'll I'll drop a little, I'll drop a little theme music behind that. So, so I will say um, I'm done pumping the book, the book. I I still might try to sell some for father's day or something. I'm doing a terrible job. I don't know. Like I have a boxes. I have boxes in the corner of my room, the road to Ohio state whatever it is, turbulent twists and crazy turns on the recruiting trail. I can't even remember the title of the book. It hasn't even been out a year. So if you, you still want better one, than this, I, I can't be better. listen. I'm, I'm losing it. Like I'm trying to, I'm, I'm doing pods early. Cause I'm going on vacation. As we record this, we're having my daughter's high school graduation party at our house tomorrow. I'm making collages. I'm ordering food. My wife is cleaning the entire house. We're planning these vacations. Nathan's still not here. I'm hanging on by my fingernails, man. And it's like, oh, by the way, wouldn't Father's Day be a great time to sell the book that you have sitting in the corner of your house that you could make money on? Yeah, it would be. I also have a gigantic story that I'm trying to get done, like a gigantic story that I have 15 people to call. Ay, ay, ay. Dougie, Dougie's running out of juice. Come back, Nathan. Please come back. <laughs> Dougie's running out of juice. We'll get back to normal very quickly here. So I have my list. You said you have like a top eight. I got to 10 with like four Mm. others. I I initially just went through all the classes starting in 2012 and just wrote down the guys that I thought would be in consideration. I got 20 of them. So we'll Mm. start. I'll let you start because you're the one out there hanging out at camp and doing all the recruiting work these days. Um, I will give you the first pick here. I will say... Some of obviously, and I think it's interesting, we're coming at this from different perspectives. You know, I've, I was here for all of this covering it. You were not. I actually have some information from like writing the book and talking to people for the recruiting book that influences some of my thinking on these. Some of the people that I list are chapters in the book. 
but you are much, much more involved in the recent stuff, right? In the day-to-day recruiting coverage in the last four years. So I do think we're both aware of everything, but we, we do come at it from slightly different perspectives that I think will make the draft interesting. First pick to you. So my first pick came down to three people. And I think that all three of them are kind of foundational pieces for a head coach at the beginning of his career at Ohio state. And I could have flipped the coin, but I think this guy is the genesis of all this, of what urban Meyer meant to what that meant hiring him meant. And it's Von Bell from the 2013 class, the number 26 player, the number two safety, a five-star out of Georgia. And that commitment, you thought, oh, you're hiring Urban Meyer. This is a national program now. It's going to recruit all over the country. They're going to recruit like an SEC team now. Getting Von Bell was proof of that. And everything that's happened since then starts with getting Von Bell in that 2013 class. Yep. <laughs> That is correct. <laughs> That's what Urban says. Yeah. Urban said it a million times when I talked to Urban for the book. Urban said that again. That's my number one pick as well. Because if Urban Meyer thinks it, well, I mean, he's kind of important to all of this. Urban Meyer said mm-hmm. that's the one that let us know that we could do this. It was on signing day. It was in February. That does not happen a ton with Ohio State that they are down on signing day waiting to hear, and they're not 100% sure which way this is going to go. Von Bell, right on the Georgia-Tennessee border, Chattanooga guy, right in the heart of SEC country. Everybody wants him. And there's no connection here, Stephen. As, as, mm-hmm. as many times that we talked about, you know, hey, Tate Martell had a connection, and Garrett Wilson had a connection, and Donovan Jackson had a connection, and – all these guys that are from far away, but there's something there. Cam Hayward had a connection. There's not a Von Bell connection. They just went and won. They went and won for a five-star dude that mattered in SEC country. I don't know. He's not on my, well, Raquan McMillan following that up the next year out of Georgia, same kind of thing, reinforced it. Von yeah. Bell's class of 2013, Raquan McMillan's class of 2014. But Vaughn Bell got it started. It sort of let people know that Urban Meyer, what he did at Florida, he could do at Ohio State. So for you to take Vaughn Bell number one, I is there a right choice here? No, I think, as you said, there's probably two or three you could go with. But this was also my number one. And Urban Meyer could come on here and give you a 15-minute speech about why it should be number one. Yeah, and I think that's what broke the tie for me is coaches are obviously always going to talk highly of their recruits on signing day but urban we're 10 years past that signing day and urban meyer will give the exact same speech about von bell if you got him on the phone right now to talk to him about it and i don't know if that's necessarily the same for some of these other guys it's probably because it's a little more recent and they're still you know around but von bell he a national recruit came here was really good and now he's in the nfl having a very quality career and so this is more about the get but then also excellent player. Now, yes. would we say, hey, if they don't have Von Bell, they don't win the national title in 2014? I mean, probably not. I mean, how many, how many guys would rise to that level, Stephen, that say if they didn't have that guy, they wouldn't have won the national title in 2014? I think it's probably two. I don't even think those two lists look the same. 
if so, we were to do it, like, like that's yeah. almost the most important players list. And that's a, you know, there are guys who were terrible from a recruiting ranking standpoint, end up being quality guys on the national championship team. And they're, you know, they're five stars who did the same. So that's, that's a hard thing to kind of use in a list like that. Like, cause this. a lot of it's like, well, if you didn't, if, cause if they didn't get that guy, usually the case at Ohio state is, well, if you didn't get that guy, then you would have gotten this guy. And he yeah. also was good. But I do think Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott probably rise to the level of if they're not here, does Ohio State win a national championship mm-hmm. in 2014? Those are the two. So I wouldn't put Von Bell quite on that level. But is Von Bell one of the eight most important players for national championship team? Probably. Mm-hmm. That guy, the way he played safety, the way he could cover, the way he could hit, the way he could blitz, how smart he was, how fluid he was in space. Von Bell is an excellent football player but mm-hmm. this is a little bit more about the get in the moment a kid from sec country picking ohio state okay second pick to me and then i'm gonna go with where i started off the top and i'm gonna pick cj stroud <laughs> and i'm gonna say this because you start and we don't have to go into this quite as much because we do go with it go into it on the what if cj stroud didn't come here pod we actually probably shouldn't go into it very much at all but this leads to how good he is and then just the way that quarterback room shook out, Stephen, that he was a late get. It wasn't like there were a million other quarterbacks who were that good that were available that late in 2020. And then if, if it's just like, okay, we're going to take a second quarterback, we're going to try to. We're going to try to take a second quarterback. Oh, he's going somewhere else. Okay. Well, now we have Jack Miller and we have Kyle McCord. And we're still going to bring in Quinn Ewers, but you're not exactly sure how that shakes out. And so this is not, listen, they were already on the West coast. They had been doing work in California. They've been doing work in Washington, Arizona. I don't know that CJ Stroud established anything for them. This is really just about the player contribution, but I do think you can start to wonder if the quarterback room maybe gets a little sideways if he's not here it wouldn't be disastrous ryan day wouldn't let it be disastrous maybe a, maybe they get a transfer whatever they would have figured it out but man did cj stroud solve everything so i just think he's that important he was that important to a team last year that was really good and he's that important to a team this year that has national title aspirations he's my second pick um he's a top five pick i don't know if i would have taken him with the second pick but I agree that he should have been taken in the top five. And the reason why is of the quarterbacks that were top 100 recruits when they committed to Ohio state that have come here since Ryan day showed up in 2017, Jack Miller would have come here anyway, because he committed to Ohio state when Ryan day was still the positions coach. Kyle McCord and that relationship started when Ryan day was still the positions coach. So I think you still get those two. C.J. Stroud was the first quarterback to commit to Ryan Day, the head coach. And when you think about it from that standpoint, all the elements that come along with it, maybe Justin Fields doesn't transfer to Ohio State if Urban Meyer is still the head coach and Ryan Day is just a position coach. Maybe. Uh, so that means C.J. Stroud's not a part of this conversation either because even C.J. Stroud will admit it's the combination of Dwayne Haskins doing what he did plus Justin Fields validating that that wasn't just a one-off that allowed CJ Stroud to feel like this was a comfortable place for him along with the fact that it's hard to get two quarterbacks in a class 
especially two quarterbacks who at their peaks were top 100 recruits. That's not an easy thing to do. Even CJ Stroud admitted to that because I think you were asking him those line of questions. And he's like, yeah, we can all admit that this is weird. This is not a normal thing that happened here. And maybe CJ Stroud of the people we end up picking on this list is the one that where his, the argument is more about what's happened since he's committed and what he's actually done on the field more than anybody else here. But that matters when you're talking about quarterback. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know exactly. I don't know what the obvious answer is. I mean, it's probably like, well, Clive McCord plays. Okay. It's like, well, what they, what would they have done last year? Like, okay. Well, mm-hmm. So it, that complicates a little bit. And I will say this is recruits. So no Justin Fields. Now, if Justin Fields was on this list, Justin yes. Fields, as we've talked about many, many times, Justin Fields would be super high because mm-hmm. he saved their quarterback room. He got the Orion Day era off to a flying start. And he established uh, kind of behind Dwayne, but then established a line of quarterback play that he is, uh, you know, helped plant the seeds, but he's transfer. So we're doing high school recruits with Justin Fields, not eligible. All right. Bell one, Straub two, who are you taking three? I'm going to go Paris Johnson here um, from both a current roster situation, but then also the recruitment, because that's like the first weird one, crazy one I was around here for. First and foremost, if Paris Johnson isn't here right now, who's Ohio State starting left tackle? They'd have to cut Dewan Jones in half and have <laughs> the two halves of Dewan Jones play both yep. tackle spots. So let's start with that. Like, we don't know who's protecting C.J. Stroud's backside of Paris Johnson. If the number one tackle in the 2020 class isn't here, then obviously he's a five-star, all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. But it's also the main question with Ryan Day when he took over for Urban Meyer was, is the recruiting going to take a dip because you just lost a legend? Yep. And we're all looking at Paris that spring, I remember that 2019 spring, he's going all over the country, taking visits everywhere else. He told me, I went and talked to him down there at Cincinnati Princeton High School. He said, I just, I didn't decommit, but I was definitely acting like a guy who was decommitted and acting like I was free to do whatever because I committed to Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer could have been the head coach of Kansas and I still would have went and played for him because that's why I committed here. And Ryan Day had the whole, he had to re-recruit him. Basically, he had him and his mother, Monica, they had to re-recruit them and get them back locked into here. And it took some time. It took about four or five months for Paris to truly feel comfortable being at Ohio State. In the meantime, he's visiting elsewhere. But then after he gets locked in, it starts that trend that we now see at Ohio State, where if there's a five-star kid in your backyard, you get him in here early and he's the leader of the class. So it's on two fronts. It's one, it showed, okay, the recruiting probably isn't going to fall off a cliff because you lost a legend, but then also... Um, Ohio State's tackle recruiting sucks right now, and so it's a pretty good thing that you have a pretty good tackle for your 2022 roster. It's always difficult with kids in Ohio, and I I ran into this when I was putting the book together and deciding who to put in that because there's just an assumption. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's like, hey, Braxton Miller, he's going to Ohio State. Cool. Like, of of course. What What do you want me to say about that? What, what else is there to the story? Hey, Beanie Wells is going to Ohio State. Great. Is, mm-hmm. is that interesting? There's an assumption. But I do think it's fair, especially with the Ohio kids then, if there's an opening of, eh, he might not have come here, then you start thinking about what if he didn't come here? And you do the reverse to think about what actually happened. If Paris Johnson had decommitted from Ohio State and gone to USC or Alabama or Florida or Texas or whatever, 
it would have set off panic very early in the Ryan Day mm-hmm. era. People would have been like, oh, my God, he can't even keep Ohio kids home. And Paris Johnson then, not to undermine Ryan Day, but just because he would have been an honest person, after he committed somewhere else and they said, hey, why did you decommit from Ohio State and come to this school and commit here? He would have said, well, because I committed to Urban Meyer. And if Urban Meyer was still there, I'd be at Ohio State. But he's not, so now I'm here. And it would have it really would have damaged, I think, Ryan Day early on. So it's the fact that you they did not have to do damage control. You're picking mm-hmm. him third. I had him fourth. I think this is this is exactly where he belongs. Because when you think of what if Paris Johnson didn't come here? My goodness. Ryan Day would have been wading through a lot of our questions saying, how come you can't keep a top 10 Ohio kid in Ohio? I also think Stud probably would have been gone two years ago because yes, you know, that's a big, that's, 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 that's rough. You can't do that. And and listen, they've lost, you know, it's happened at times over the years, Jackson, Carmen, um, trade to priest, um, Jordan Hicks, right. A couple like here and there, like once every three or four years, you know, a couple Mm -hmm. of the kids, Liam Eikenberg went to Notre Dame every now and then you're going to lose a Catholic school kid to Notre Dame. That's part of the deal. But when it's just an Ohio kid going out of state, you know, people went kind of nuts for Jackson Carmen when that happened. And so, you know, if it's once every three or four years, hey, some kids just want to go somewhere different. Great. Ohio State makes that same pitch to every kid who's not from Ohio. But I just think it's the reverse. Whoa. Ryan Day did not want to live in that world, man. He did not want to live in a world without Paris Johnson. And as soon as then, Stephen, as you're saying, as soon as Paris was like, nope, I looked, it almost actually was better than that he looked. Because it was like, I committed to Urban. Then I really looked. And Ryan Day had to recruit me again. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, and Ohio State and Ryan Day, now I'm back in. I'm here for Ryan Day. It was like Ryan Day won that. Yep. Because it wasn't just an assumption. It, as it turned out, it was almost the best thing for Ryan Day. I bet Brian Day might have had a couple nervous weeks, though, right? During that time, I can imagine. I don't. Th- yeah, of course. I mean, the players were tweeting at Paris Johnson when he's putting up photo shoots of him at Tennessee and Alabama and Georgia. They're like, dude, what are we doing here? It's like <laughs> he's making sure Ryan Day is going to be good at his job here. That's what he's doing. So, yes, that was I would assume because this is pre-COVID and all this new stuff that's going on. Paris Johnson's tour around the sec in the spring was probably the most nervous Ryan Day had been in it early on in his career. Yeah, that's probably fair. Okay. Von Bell class of 2013. He was the first pick CJ Stroud class of 2020. He was the second pick Paris Johnson class of 2020. He was a third pick bell, by the way, was the number 26 player in the country. Stroud was the number 42 player in the country. Paris Johnson, the number nine player in the country. Pick four, I'm taking Chase Young. Mm. And the reason that I'm taking Chase Young, who was the number seven overall player in the class of 2017, is first because he's that good. And he was fundamental. They're, I think it's, I I think I'm okay saying they're not a playoff team in 19 if he's not there. He's that good. He's that dominant. Yes, Justin Fields was great, but that was a defense-led team. And the schedule was pretty easy during the year, but Chase Young 
just changed everything by being on the field. So it's, it's mostly the level of play, but I will say we think about this Bosa Bosa young kind of hierarchy at defense, not hierarchy, but lineage at defensive end. And listen, the Bosa's mom went to Ohio state. So it's just a little bit different. And Joey Bosa was recruited by Mike Vrabel. And then Larry Johnson got here, and then the Bosa's loved Larry Johnson, and then Larry Johnson landed Nick Bosa, but his brother was already here, and they were kind of in an Ohio State zone. Chase Young had no reason to come here. And we all saw it as it happened. He comes to a Friday Night Lights camp. He's interacting with Larry Johnson. Larry Johnson's doing the hand-fighting stuff with him, and they're doing whatever. And then Chase Young commits to Larry Johnson, right, on the field Mm -hmm. there. And that was not that Larry Johnson needed it, but I do think – Chase Young absolutely finalized everything we thought about Larry Johnson as a defensive line coach, as a recruiter. And I do think it then has some, some small effect, even if it's subconscious on Tariq Smith, Zach Harrison, JT Tumaloa, like anybody else who comes after Chase. Listen, we just talked to an eighth grader at a camp. Who's like Chase Young's my favorite player. And Chase Young's going to pay off more still into the future. Chase Young's that kind of guy. I love Chase Young. I'm interested in Ohio State. It's not, Larry Johnson didn't need it, but it still was quite a cherry on top of, man, Chase Young, who's from the DMV, Maryland, DC, could go anywhere, but he came to Ohio State to play for Larry Johnson. That is is quite a sign of respect. And I think it matters. And by the way, He's one of the best defensive players in college football in the last 10 years. And I'm not sure they are who they are in 2019 without him. So Chase Young, he was third on my list. I'll take him fourth here. You just sold me. He wasn't in my top five. I had Joey Bosa higher. And the reason why I had Joey Bosa higher was because if Joey Bosa doesn't come here, then Nick Bosa doesn't come here. And then Chase Young doesn't come here. So I kind of valued the who was first. But the way you just pointed out that argument, I'm wrong. It's Chase Young. And we'll because have a bo- we'll have yeah, a Bosa discussion, but yeah, yeah. I, and part of it is again that the that Joey wasn't recruited by Larry Johnson. The relationship then once yeah. Larry Johnson got here when Joey Bosa was a sophomore, the relationship mm-hmm. turned into an unbelievable teacher, mentor, incredibly valuable grandfather figure in Joey Bosa's life, incredibly yeah. important to Jerry Bosa's development. But Larry Johnson wasn't what got him here. So, you know, I think it could go either way. You got to talk about Russians, edge guys at some point in this discussion. But if I sold you, then I sold you. I'll take it. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with the fifth pick in our draft, the 10 most important recruits at Ohio State since 2012. Next on Buckeye Talk. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. Hey, if you like recruiting, and if you're listening to this, you might. 614-350-3315. June is just kind of a recruiting month. Kind of matters. 
stuff's kind of happening. Some commitments are kind of going to be coming down the line. So try it out. It's a good time to try it. Two weeks. You can do like two weeks and then not worry about it. And then you can eh, maybe come back in September when the season starts or in August when camp starts, whatever. But it's a good time to try it now. 614-350-3315. You send the text there. You get a link back to sign up. Steven, who are you picking five? So I've got three guys. Once again, in this little area, um, and it's about strongest argument. And I'm going to go with because they needed it to happen. Um, and it's Travion Henderson. Because this is another guy where he has no Ohio connections. It's just Tony Alford messed up in 2020. Flat out. There's no better way to put it. He messed up. And so it put a lot of pressure to go get a guy and not just like a top 100 guy, but like a dude who, you know, can show up here year one and be ready to go. And he did it. He went and got Trayvon Henderson. Now Ohio State's got to start running back for the next three years. He's probably going to be a first round pick. He was also fifth on my list for those reasons. Think about Ohio State without Trevion Henderson. Think about their offense last year without Trevion Henderson. Think about where they'd be right now. Not that Evan Pryor is not good. He is good, but they couldn't settle for good. Mm-hmm. They needed somebody who, A, could play right away, and B, be a dynamic, number one, national championship caliber running back. And Trevion Henderson is both those things. And Ohio State, you, you have to get a running back like that every three years. You have to. Yes, it's a passing offense. Yes, Ryan Day wants to stack four quarterbacks. And yes, Brian Hartline wants to get four of the best receivers in the country in every class. Running back doesn't have to be that. But you've got to get a bell cow every third class at the very least, or this offense is not going to work. And so to do this... To land Trevor and th- like the chips were down and Tony Alford got the guy. So when you think about, okay, even if you think about Ezekiel Elliott and coming in the class of, of 2013, um, and then you think about J.K. Dobbins in the class of 2017, and then you think about Trayvon Henderson in the class of 2021, those are actually four years apart. But I mean, it's like, imagine... No Ezekiel, and again, Ezekiel Elliott was before Tony Alford, but imagine no Ezekiel Elliott, imagine no J.K. Dobbins, imagine no Trevor Henderson. You have to get guys like this. And I don't, I don't know where they'd be. I mean, we know if they were trying to, to be a playoff team with Mayan Williams and Master Teague last year, or with Mayan Williams and Evan Pryor this year, they just they would be in a different spot. They would not be in as good of a place. And Tony Alford had some other guys like, hey, if maybe they didn't get Trevor Henderson, they would have gotten Donovan Edwards or whatever. But the bottom line is they needed a stud and they got a stud at running back. And even with the thing that puts Travion on this list over JK and, and Ezekiel Elliott is one, he is a five star. And so it's like the expectations were there and then he just went out there and met him and he's going to keep building on that. I think the argument with Ezekiel Elliott and J.K. Dobbins is the top 100 recruits, but they still very much outplayed their rankings. Mm-hmm. Because you know, right. Ezekiel Elliott was 69 in this class. I think J.K. was like 47 or something like that. So it's like, okay, they're the type of running back where, okay, they're really good, but they're going to be really good in year two. When you're a five-star running back, it's like as soon as you give that kid the ball, he's going to be really good. 
And that was the case with Travion. By the Tulsa game, when C.J. Stroud still got the shoulder problems, and he looks awful. I think that was the worst game C.J. Stroud played all year. Why did they win that game? Because Travion Henderson had 270 yards. Yep. No, and, and Travion's story has not been written yet. Travion Henderson, Ohio yes. State's going to try to win the national title in 2022, and they're going to try again in 2023. And Travion Henderson's going to be right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I absolutely think Travion is a top five guy here, and that's the guy I would have picked next as well. So uh, Travion Henderson in his class in 2021, the number 23 overall player in the class of 2021. So again, Vaughn Bell, CJ Stroud, Paris Johnson, Chase Young, Travion Henderson, sixth pick to me. And I'm going to go again with this is a this is similar to the Paris Johnson story, and it's keeping a guy on the hook that if you would have lost him, would have made some people very nervous. And then also, by the way, he's a really, really, really good football player. And I'll take Garrett Wilson. Ooh, Garrett Wilson going next. Yep. In the class of 2019, Urban Meyer's out. Ryan Day's in. Zach Smith is out. The receivers coach who was involved with Garrett Wilson's recruitment. Ryan Day personally does a lot of work to keep Garrett Wilson in the fold here. This is a Texas guy with Ohio roots, but man, wouldn't have been too hard. Tom Herman really wanted Garrett Wilson. Would not have been too hard for Garrett Wilson to say, you know what? It's just getting a little messy up there right now. Guys decommit and change all the time when there's a coaching shift that is completely normal would have been really easy for him to go to Texas. And this is a time where Ohio state's done a lot of work in Texas, Jeff Okuda, JK Dobbins, Baron Browning, Garrett Wilson keeps it going. That leads to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like, I don't know if they're going to stay in Texas long-term, but man, they had a nice little run there. And also Garrett Wilson's Garrett Wilson. But again, That 2019 class, as we've talked about a lot, Stephen, it's the crossover class from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. It's not as many top-shelf guys. It was basically Zach Harrison, Garrett Wilson, Harry Miller, Jamison Williams, I think were the four top 100 guys. And you Mm -hmm. see how that worked out. Jamison Williams transfers. Harry Miller decides to step away from football. Garrett Wilson's a stud, and Zach Harrison's very good. Be a little rough to take Garrett out of there. So they have good receivers. I get it. But also, this is sort of – this is the beginning – of Brian Hartline, the receivers coach. So Brian Hartline gets to work. And also Brian Hartline helps keep Garrett Wilson in the fold. And then Brian Hartline gets to coach Garrett Wilson from the jump. And here we go. So, but I do think it's kind of similar to Paris, right? It's the, well, if you would have lost him after you had him, people would have noticed. The wide receiver room does not look like what it looks like right now if Garrett Wilson flips to Texas because he committed before Dwayne did what he did. Ryan, De- they mm. went down there to, to Austin, Texas, and looked Garrett Wilson in the face and said, we're going to start throwing the ball here. Because you got to think, before Garrett Wilson, the only other five-star receiver Ohio State had ever had was Jalen Marshall. And he was a quarterback who was he's more of an athlete. Yes, Garrett's the first like NFL-level wide receiver that Ohio state has really brought in here like that. And I, I had that conversation with Garrett. He said, Ryan came down there and told him they were going to throw the ball. He said, yeah, we'll see. He came up here for a spring practice and saw Dwayne and Joe Burrow throwing it all over the place and said, yep, this is where I'm coming. And it's part of what made it easy for him to stay committed because he knew Ryan day was taking over. So he knew that promise wasn't going to get broken, but yeah, that's yeah. what, 
That's why he's on this list for me. Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Julian Fleming, Emeka Ibuka, Marvin Harrison, Caleb Burton, Brandon Ennis, if he ends up coming here, none of that exists if Garrett Wilson does not come here. I mean, you make the case like that, you could make a case for higher than six. Frankly, mm-hmm. when you think about what Ohio State is right now, it's like, oh, you mean the receiver that started it all? And now that like the Ohio State receiver room is maybe the best room in the country. I mean, if you were going to do a national draft of the best position rooms in America, I'm not going to pretend I know every single one, but man, it feels like you'd start with Ohio State receivers. Oh, we can do right? that because I mean, I there would have been a time. Sports put out a list of oh, for real? The, yeah, I think they did it. A couple of days ago, they said number one is Georgia's tight ends. Okay. Um, Clemson's defensive line is two. Ohio State's receivers are three. Alabama's linebackers are four. Texas's running backs are five. Bama's um, secondary is six. And Georgia's offensive line is seven, which is interesting that Alabama's defensive line is not on here, but okay. Hmm. Yeah, and that I mean that tight end room is a little bit smaller. They have Brock Bowers and Eric Gilbert, and they, yeah. they have like seven of the three of the seven best tight ends in the country. And Brock Bowers is awesome. But it's not; it's only like four guys. Tight end rooms yeah, are smaller. Yeah. So anyway, yes, point. So there it is. There are top three room in the country, and Garrett Wilson is kind of the godfather of all that. So probably six, maybe is about as low as he'd want to go in a draft like this. All right, seven to you. Who you got? I think this is the last of the Ryan Day commits that I think he's going to make this list. Um, And it's Jack Sawyer. And it's simply just because he committed to Ryan day a month into this. And he's a five-star recruit and he didn't need to see anything. It was like Larry Johnson still there. Yep. Did I grow up 15 minutes from the school? Yep. Do I think they're still going to be a good program? Yep. Am I going to be awesome? Yep. Cool. Sign me up. And it's it's that, but then it's also there is no Paris Johnson part of this story where he's shopping around looking at other places. No, he committed, he shut it down, and the only place he ever visited was Columbus, Ohio. It was Ohio State's campus to camp with Larry Johnson every summer. The most low maintenance five star recruit I've ever seen in my life. There certainly is something to the guys who jump early with the new coach. That matters. It was a big deal when Kirk Herbstreet committed to John Cooper right after John Cooper got here. And it was, guess what? Kirk Herbstreet would have played for anybody who was the head Mm -hmm. coach of Ohio State. Jack Sawyer would have played for anybody who was the head coach of Ohio State. So on one level, I'll I'll be honest and say I didn't have Sawyer in my top 10. Because on one level, you can say, well, he he would have committed to anybody. But on the other hand, it's like you need guys like that. You need guys that say, yeah, I'm a Buckeye. I'm with you, new guy. Good with me, new guy. You're not scaring me away, new guy, because I'm going to be a Buckeye. And then also, by the way, it's probably going to be a heck of a player the next two years. Flash, certainly as a freshman. Um, I do think I do think that matters. And that it's one of those things. Sometimes, like we just talked about two guys that they had to reel back in a little bit. But sometimes not reeling a guy matters too. Because as we said before, it's like, Coach, don't worry about me. Go spend your time on other guys. And then also he's a leader of the class in the COVID year when nobody can make official visits. People are coming to Columbus and and the official visit was to Jack Sawyer's house. Mm -hmm. And to that point, I mean, we talk about that with Josh Myers and how he said, don't worry about me. Go recruit other guys. And it allowed him to spend all that time on Wyatt Davis. Given how the JT Tuima Lowell recruitment played out, Imagine if Larry Johnson had to spend that much more time worrying about Jack Sawyer. 
maybe JT doesn't come here, especially in that situation with the COVID and all that stuff. But it's like, no, don't worry about me. Go get JT. And now you've got the two highest rated defensive players Ohio State's had in the modern era. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think that makes sense. All right. Pick eight. I'm going to I'm gonna jump a little bit. I, I'm going to jump over one guy that I had slightly higher. But this is the guy who's – he's actually eighth on my list. And I'm going to pick Dylan Rayola in the class of 2024. He's the number two player in that class right now to lock down a national quarterback who's from the West that Lincoln Riley at USC wanted. Lincoln Riley just got there, and Ryan Day and Ohio State win a head-to-head battle immediately. That matters. And they've done it, as you guys all know, they've done it with some of the quarterbacks. Kyle McCord early. Jack Miller early. Devin Brown, late. C.J. Stroud, late. Dwayne Haskins was late because they that was because they had a different guy committed. That was before Ryan Day. But, like, I just – it's very soothing to have your quarterback committed for 18 months. Now, yes. they got to sign him. So, if you're listening to this in 2025 <laughs> and, and you're like, oh, you mean USC quarterback Dylan Rayola? Then remove him from the list. He's not locked in yet, but he's committed. And even that commitment, that commitment, I think that made a lot of noise out West that it's like, oh, here they, it's like, man, Ryan Day still got it, baby. So, and and now if it lands and it hits, you know, get back to us in 2026, if Dylan Rayola has either personal or team hardware and we'll move him up from eighth. But at the moment, I still think a 2024 quarterback in a world where they just were not in on Arch Manning. Arch Manning's the guy in 2023. They're just not in. They jump right to 24 and they lock it down. I think he deserves to be in the top 10. I think there's a case to be made that because it's so early and you can be hyperbolic with people who are 16 years old, not going to be here for another four years. um, He might get up to one by the time his career is over with. I mean, if he's Trevor Lawrence, you know, I mean, it's like if he's, you know, it's like, oh, you mean if he wins a national championship in the Heisman and he came from out west and his dad played at Nebraska and his uncle's the offensive line coach at Nebraska and Lincoln Riley wanted him and he picked Ohio State and then he was awesome. Yeah, (laughs) That, that could be a very compelling number one case. And he's in so early that Ohio State ends up with like a top two recruiting class in the country because. I mean, if you go look at his Twitter, every other tweet is come join the brotherhood. And it's not yeah. even just like people in his class. It's everybody. It's you can be a sixth grader. If you got the Ohio State offer, come on over here with us. That guy you tweets sixth grader. That guy tweets Buckeye nut emojis at everybody all day. Yes. All and day. So it's, come on, man. I, I yeah, he's I, I, he's the flyer on this list, but he deserves to be on this list because also. I think Ohio State is about to enter the one-and-done quarterback world mm. where he they might not have a multi-year starting quarterback again until Dylan. Okay. So it's very, very important that they got him this early and he's locked in. But as you just mentioned, quarterback recruiting is weird. So it's that much more important that the next 18 months go smoothly and he actually signs a piece of paper. Yeah. And especially, again, like kind of on the heels of Quinn Ewers where yes. they had signed the best quarterback in the country and then it got wonky and then he left mm-hmm. and they got nothing out of it. Like, did they get burned by Quinn Ewers? I don't, 
think they got burned. I don't think it in the end really damaged Ohio State. They made up for it immediately with Devin Brown. They had a Heisman candidate for two years as the starter in 21 and 22 with C.J. Stroud. Like, they're fine. But it wasn't great. And so if no. you can, you know, which again means like they got to lock down Dylan Rayola. They don't want to get like down the road with Dylan Rayola. And in November of 2024, Dylan Rayola is like, you know what? I do like USC. That mm-hmm. would not be great. But if they lock this guy down and get him on campus and develop him, it is reaffirmation of everything Ohio State wants its quarterback situation to be. So as you said, he's eight now because it's so early but we could see a world where we'll come back and do this in four years and he might be much higher. All right. Ninth pick to you. This one's hard because I will say there are a couple guys that we have mentioned. And it's like, since we mentioned them, there's part of me is like, I don't want to draft them, but it's like, we probably still should draft them. So like it's, 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 it's not quite, I have a couple weird ones that I want to drop in here. And I actually wouldn't mm-hmm. mind going past 10. No, um, we can still do that. Yeah. Cause I was going to have an honorable mention when I wrote the post anyway. So yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some more guys worth talking about, but um, yeah, let's not be afraid to draft the guy just because we kind of already mentioned him. So, okay, then yeah, I'm taking do. I'm taking Joey Bosa here. Yeah, like, he, I understand I, it's a Mike Brable thing, but that's still the Urban Meyer regime, and it's a top 100. If he didn't come here, Nick Bosa didn't come here. So, like, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's he's the number 37 overall player in the class of 2013. Um, I think they always thought he was a five-star and maybe he didn't do as many camps and stuff and he should have been higher than that. But the whole story with him again is his mom is an Ohio state grad. His uncle's an Ohio state grad. He has no interest in Ohio state until urban gets hired. So it's another, Oh, because, you know, I don't know that Joey was a Florida fan, but he, you know, he's growing up in Fort Lauderdale. He's noticing what urban Meyer is doing at Florida and he just kind of likes urban's vibe. And so, Joey Bosa would not have come to Ohio state for just any head coach, but urban got him interested. And then he and his dad, John were up here. They did a family trip. They got in the station wagon and they drove around. They went to Michigan. They went to some Midwestern schools and then he and his dad visited and he, he called his mom from the 50 yard line at Ohio stadium and said, I think this is the place for me. And his mom was like, I knew it. Cause Cheryl, loves Ohio state, but Joey was not an Ohio state fan. Nick always was. Joey was not, but it had to be urban. So it's another reaffirmation that this wasn't Larry Johnson doing work. Listen, you know, who's a really good defensive line coach, Mike Vrabel, who's now an NFL head coach. So they had a good relationship with Vrabel. Then Larry Johnson comes in and builds on that, but this was an urban. This is just like Von Bell. Is it, this is, yes, there are Mm. some family things here that help, but, Joey Bosa would not have come to Ohio state to play for Jim Trestle. That's not a shot at Jim Trestle. It's just a reality. Urban got him interested and then look what he became. And by the way, I think you can make a very reasonable argument. They don't win the national championship in 2014 without him. He's that good. 13 and a half sacks. You have to change your blocking scheme to account for him. Your quarterback is very aware of him. You have to double team him, and that opens up things for everybody else. He is an unbelievable edge rusher that kicks off a lot of stuff, but individually is makes Ohio State go in 2013, 2014, and 2015. And frankly, I mean, they're national title contenders all three years that he's here. 
Mm-hmm. They only win one, but he was playing in 2013 when they thought they were going to play the national championship game. He's really good. The concept of finding the five-star national kids who have Ohio ties. Yes. Did that start with Urban Meyer? Uh no, I do think so. Listen, Ohio State like wasn't beating the bushes for national guys on, at quite the same level, but they yeah. were always aware of it. Again, they were always very keyed up. Cam Hayward's the example that always pops to mind. That okay. Cam Hayward, his his mom and his dad are from Pittsburgh, but they have family in Ohio, and Pittsburgh's not that far away, and he's from Georgia, but it's almost like a Midwestern mindset that you are a Southern player who is open to the Midwest. And then if you get an uncle or an aunt or a cousin or a grandma in, in Columbus or somebody nearby that really lights them up. So like they were really aware with Cam Hayward and that did factor in that this is a kid who already, you know, the guys he's visiting LSU and looking around at, at Georgia and places in the South, but he's open to Ohio state. But I do think Pantone, Mark Pantone, the recruiting director there. And then urban Meyer, like Pantone is just like, he's on, he has radar for this stuff now. Yeah. And it's like, where are we going to spend our time? Here's nine guys at this position that I really like on film. Oh, three of them have a little Ohio state connection. And I think they zero in. Because if the reason why I'm asking that is, okay, let's just use the camp here. It feels like, it happened with one kid and then the coaching staff went, is this like a thing? Can mm. we use this all the time? Is, does it, because it, it may, maybe with Cam Haywood, it was just this one-off of like this extra step that they could take, but it's like, this can't be the only time we can use this. Right. And so then Joey Bosa comes along and it's like, yeah, you got to sell them on all the other stuff. But the thing that puts you over the top is, hey, your mom and your uncle went to Ohio State. Yeah. And then you start using it with guys like Garrett Wilson and Donovan Jackson and on down the list. But somebody had to be the first person that you didn't go into it approaching it that way, but then you realized it worked. And so you went, I wonder how many more kids out there actually have Ohio yeah. ties and we can do this with. Because I will say, I think like Urban Meyer coming from Florida, it's like, well, what do you have to do at Florida? It's like, it's Florida yeah it's sunny there and again urban says this it's like well what do you do what's the edge the sun (laughs) that ball of gas up in the sky it's warm and listen gainesville is not exactly miami but it's still warm so okay it's not warm so then what and then urban would say well real life wednesdays let's show a little bit more but also by the way I don't, the sell job isn't quite as hard because like you've been to Ohio before. You're not afraid of snow, right? You're not automatically Mm -hmm. ruling something out because, oh, I went to my aunt's. She lives in Cincinnati. Oh, you know, my, we have family friends in Pittsburgh. I've been there before there. I think they, they realize that because it, for some people, it you know, Columbus is lovely. It doesn't sell itself necessarily to everybody. And especially if you've only ever lived in Louisiana or Georgia or yeah. Tennessee or Florida or Texas or Southern California or Arizona your whole life. So they're very aware of it. Like even with Quinn Ewers, as weird as that got, I think there's like a family farm in Southern Ohio. Mm, yeah. So we should go there. And do what? At this point? <laughs> do a live podcast? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Podcasting from the kombucha farm here in Southern Ohio, where Quinn Muir's uncle lives. Um, 
All right, I'm going to pick a weird one here. I'm going to jump my own list by one because I just want to do this and talk about him. This is completely different than anybody else that we've talked about. And it's a recruit who was ranked number 285 in his class. And it's Thayer Munford in the class of 2017. He was from the Cincinnati area. And then he wound up going to Maslin and living with the coach and his family there for a year. And he had some academic issues to overcome. And he was a talented football player and Ohio state hung with him and Greg Sudrawa hung with him. And sometimes in situations like this, it's just, it's a little complicated. And sometimes you just say, you know what? And also sometimes it's like, you gotta be real. If you're complicated, you gotta be really good. There's a sliding scale of how easy everything is and how good you are. And so, you know, if you're a top 20 national recruit, man, it can get pretty complicated and they'll hang with you. This guy's only ranked in the 285. Now I do think some of the stuff that was happening here with him and changing schools might've affected his ranking, but they thought he was really good. I think they really believed in Thayer Munford, the person. And if you've been around Thayer Munford, the person, Thayer Munford is a very genuine person that you can understand believing in him and hanging with him. And so Greg's to draw on these guys. I remember, I remember him being at a Friday night lights camp back when Ohio state was doing that stuff. And it was like, they liked this kid. And he was sort of like, I just got to get some stuff straightened out, but I hope this works. And again, it's one of those, he's class of 2017, number 285. It's like, imagine Ohio state without Thayer Munford, because guess what he did? He started on the offensive line for four seasons, mm-hmm. three at tackle at times when you were saying like, I don't know, they really need some as much like we're saying, Oh, the tackle stuff. He solved tackle for three years and could have solved it for four. Now it so happened in 2020, 2021, they had too many tackles. They had four tackles. So they only played two, but the years before that, they didn't have too many tackles. Thayer Munford played his second year on campus for a team that made the Rose Bowl. So, like, he's really good. And I do think there are other situations where other schools, other coaches, other players, you might have walked away from the situation. And I think it does – it is credit to everybody involved, starting with Thayer Munford and then his family and then his his coach's family that he became a part of, and also Greg Stutrawa and Urban Meyer and everybody else involved that you hung around and what a payoff. That guy is a really good college football player. And I'll tell you what, Steven, not a ton of four-year starters at a place like Ohio State. and He's one of them. I had him on my list of let's have a conversation about him. Um, and I wanted to pair it with Michael Jordan mm. the year before that because <laughs> – Ohio State has a tackle problem. <laughs> and then like the yeah. one year they don't have a tackle problem, they just start all four of them. Um, Michael Jordan started as a true freshman. Yes. And so like, if that's the case, what if Michael Jordan doesn't come here? Yep. What are we doing? So it's, it, it's a, for both of them, it's, they both end up starting a lot sooner than maybe anybody would have predicted. And then they just hold down spots. And then Michael Jordan plays multiple spots on the offensive line. He's their starting center in 2018. Yep. So I, I think if you want to put Thayer Munford here, fine. I would have put Michael Jordan here. But I think the point of the matter is one of those two need to be represented because 
Yes, they're not two top 100 recruits or five-star recruits who turned out to be All-American first-round picks, but where would Ohio State be without these two guys who ended up being a lot better than their ranking shows? And as you said, Michael Jordan's class of 2016, that's still some of the Kerry Combs work in Michigan. He's yep. not from Detroit. He's from just outside Detroit. But that is that is some of that getting ingratiated a little bit in, in that Detroit area scene where it wasn't automatic that Michael Jordan just went to Michigan or Michigan State. And mm-hmm. again, he never should have started in 2016. No way in a million years. They just, they literally did not have anybody else to play. And they were like, can you do it? And he's like, okay. And he did fine. But man, that was a rough way for him to start his career. He, he, and he only played here three years and then he went to the NFL. But like he had one year where he never should have started because he was too young. And then another yep. year where he never should have been a center because he's too big. So we did not really get to see sort of like maximum Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. We saw too young and out of position. Michael Jordan was still a very good player, but I, I don't know. And then it kind of, you know, he's been in the NFL. He was with the Bengals and was sort of in and out of the starting lineup and has moved on somewhere now. He's an NFL player, certainly an NFL player. But I do think there's a world. I'm not sure. I don't want to say Ohio State did him wrong, but they asked a lot of him. And his development path was not that of a typical lineman. And if you just let him develop in year one and then be like a three-year starter at guard, I wonder what his career would have looked like because he really – he did a lot for the Buckeyes in his time here. Mm -hmm. All right, so we'll bunch them together at pick number 10. And we'll come back and we'll finish this up, but we want to keep going a little bit. We have too many guys that we still want to talk about. We'll do the rest of our draft of the most important recruits since 2012 for the Buckeyes next on Buckeye Talk. Okay. 10 picks in. Pick number 11. I have like five more names that I wouldn't mind talking about. One of them is weird that I kind of want to have a conversation about for sure. But who you want to pick at 11 here, Stephen? I think... I'm going to, because this is a recruiting conversation and not a player conversation, I'm going to take Sean Wade over Jeff Okuda because he commits, I think, the same day they win the national championship, never flips, and it's like a five-star cornerback from Florida. And five-star defensive back from Florida is like the death sentence for Ohio State when they commit early. I mean, we saw it with Jaheim Singletary. Um, We've seen it with Jordan Battle. And now some of that is because Urban Meyer left. But Ohio State's relationship with defensive backs in Florida when they commit more than a year before their signing day typically doesn't work out that well. So we're talking 18 months before signing day and Sean Wade sticks the entire way. Um, and was really good at a certain position once he got here. I think it's important to name that because they're still trying, and even now in this 2023 class with a guy like Dijon um, Johnson, who's a now top 100 recruit, they the question now is always with Florida defensive backs, okay, you got him, can you hold on to him? And they held on to Sean Wade. Listen, he's part of that 2017 group that has, he's one of four players in the top 20 that yep. they get Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Baron Browning, Sean Wade. And then they get six, seven, seven of the top 50, eight, nine, 10, 11, 11 of the top 100. That group should have won a national title. That is a national title worthy recruiting class. We made a million comparisons 
to the 2013 class that did win a national title, the Ezekiel Elliott, Darren Lee, Vaughn Bell, Joey Bosa class. And in 17, they, they never got over the top, right? Um, mm-hmm. They had the losses in 17 and 18 that they couldn't afford against Iowa and Purdue. And then in 2019, they get there and then they blow the lead to Clemson and they lose in the semifinals. But also, by the way, you had Joe Burrow and LSU waiting in your way. It, it's that good. That was the expectation with that group. And again, I do think, Stephen, that that group mattered. That mm-hmm. Urban, like 13, was really good. That was like hot off the presses, Urban. And then they come back in 2017 with the number two class in the country. And like 14, 15, 16 were all good. They weren't quite this exactly. This kind of put Ohio State back on the map again and got Ohio State like back in the conversation of, hey, I wonder if they can get the number one class in the country. And also a lot of really good players. So I think your point about Wade wasn't on my list, but I think the point you're making about keeping a guy from Florida who's a five-star at corner can't take it for granted. Can't take it for granted. And Sean Wade played some really good football in Columbus. You make a good point about this group, especially since their third year is Ryan Day's first year as head coach. Yep. And a lot of the guys that we're talking about when you say that group should have won national championship. Well, Chase Young, five-star. Jeff Okuda, five-star. Baron Brown, five-star. Sean Wade, five-star. You see, I haven't named an offensive player yet, and then Ohio State had the best defense in the mm-hmm. country that year. Like, yep. that's important. Yeah. No, and it's funny to think about now, because when you start off with the top of a recruiting class at Ohio State right now, there is no way. Nope. You would name the four <laughs> best players in a class and they'd all be on defense. No way. Can you imagine if they brought in four five-star defensive players? Holy schmoly. And they brought them in from Maryland, Texas, Texas, and Florida? Yeah. Crazy. So, yes, point well taken on uh, Sean Wade. Uh, the next guy on my list that I'll name real quick is J.K. Dobbins. He's part of that Texas group. He's he's like in the 40s on this list in 2017. I do think it was important, right? Tony Alford went down. He establishes the relationship with J.K. Dobbins. They are still incredibly close to this day. Tony Alford coaches Ezekiel Elliott, but he hadn't been here when they recruited Ezekiel Elliott. Mm-hmm. It kind of puts like Tony Alford on the map with his Ohio State recruiting. And then mm-hmm. I think he builds on that with everybody after it. So, and then J.K. Dobbins again, incredibly important as a true freshman in 2017. Solid year in 2018, great year in 2019. Would you want to be without J.K. Dobbins? No, you would not. And I do think, you know, when Tony Alford's out recruiting Trevion Henderson now and recruiting Justice Haynes and recruiting Dallin Hayden and recruiting everybody else he's recruiting, he's telling J.K. Dobbins stories because he was with J.K. Dobbins from the jump. And I think their relationship, I think they they are as tight. I don't know everybody. I think they're as tight of a player and position coach maybe that I've been around in my time yeah. here. And so I just think J.K. deserves mention there. Wasn't quite as, I don't know if the word's desperate or like absolutely like on alert. We got to get a guy like it was with Travion Henderson in 2021. So I do think Henderson's higher on this list. But it was a big get, a great player. And I think it did sort of lead. It set the framework for Tony Alford's recruiting at running back at Ohio State. I agree. Um, Tony Alford is really good at evaluating, but he does his job to the best of his ability. Mm. Doesn't always work out for him, but when he right now at Ohio State, it feels like when Tony Hall, it's like a batter. When he goes up the bat, his his batting average isn't that high, but when he hits, it's a home run every mm. single time. 
Yeah. And um, is that just as good as somebody who's just always getting on base? Right. Because at the end of the day, the name of the game is to score points and the guys, he gets score points Um, for this next guy. I, it's, it's less about him and more about just the idea of like the type of way Ohio state was getting its quarterbacks. Dwayne Haskins is on this list. Yes. Because of what's happened since and what he ended up being as a player, but also Ohio state had gotten to this habit of like having a quarterback and then it falling apart and having to scramble and find somebody new late. Yeah. And that kind of starts with him. Uh, Tate Martell, because even Tate Martell, it's just weird. I'm throwing that one out there, but you got Dwayne Haskins is like that. And then in 2018, you do it again with Matthew Baldwin. In 2019, um, it was Dewan Mathis for a while. And obviously that fell apart because now you're going to get Justin Fields. And even with CJ Stroud, you have to go get him late. Devin Brown, you have to go get him late. This Ohio State having to kind of scramble to find a quarterback, and the guy they find just so happens to turn himself into a Heisman Trophy candidate. And it forces them to go to a place that Urban didn't exactly want to go. Yes. But they sort of needed to have a quarterback who could throw it but wasn't much of a run threat to get them to where they got. And would Ryan Day have become the head coach without Dwayne Haskins throwing for 5,000 yards in 2018? I mean, maybe. I mean, you know, Gene Smith really liked – Ryan Day's culture and the way Ryan Day dealt with players and certainly the offensive acumen. So I don't think we would go as far to say as, you know, Dwayne Haskins got Ryan Day the head coaching job, but Dwayne Haskins put it on display. And as we've talked about many times before, I asked Urban a bunch of questions during the course of that season about like, are you cool with this? And he wasn't a hundred percent cool with it (laughs) because he wants Tim Tebow or Alex Smith or JT Baird or Braxton Miller, but that wasn't who Dwayne was. So they had to play to their quarterback strengths and their quarterback broke every big 10 passing record in the book while they played to his strengths and then begat everything else that followed. So they did luck into Dwayne in some ways because Tristan Wallace decommitted to go be a receiver at Oregon. Um, But getting him here by hook or by crook, you know, the minute Tristan Wallace decommitted, Tim Beck was perched Mm -hmm. at Dwayne Haskins high school. I was like, we got to get this guy. So it was a big deal. They flipped him from Maryland. And uh, I, I do think, I, I, I think he's a reasonable addition to a list like this. I, the guy that I want to add to the discussion, this would be the 14th pick. And it's really mostly just to have in the discussion. And it might sound weird. Is Joe Burrow? Because as much as it's like, oh my gosh, how did Ohio State let Joe Burrow go? They at least, get to partially claim him. And he was like setting the Ohio high school playoffs on fire. And if the Joe Burrow story with Ohio state was Joe Burrow was a swaggy 18 year old catching his own pass in the Ohio high school playoffs. And then he went to Illinois or Nebraska where his dad had been a coach or somewhere and Ohio state never had him. You'd rather have him for three years, have a good relationship with him, get to claim the development, get to showcase him as a, hey, come here, we'll develop you. Maybe you'll transfer rather than, oh, my God, are you blind? How did you let this guy get out of your state? So I just think, again, that would be as much as some people throw Joe Burrow back in Ohio State's face of like, how did you not let him win the job? That's better than how did you not even recruit him to begin with? Because again, they had Torrance Gibson in this class 
And it was like, hey, shouldn't they be taking some homegrown, lower-rated Ohio guys because it makes sense? And listen, Tom Herman really liked him, so it was legit. And I think they probably knew Torrance Gibson was never going to be a guy. I think in the end, it was a little bit less of a backdoor commitment, a little bit less of like, a, eh, I guess we'll take him. He rose up the rankings pretty good. He was a pretty good prospect by the time he got done. I think my perception of it back then was like, ah, eh, they're just taking this in-state guy. And he was more than that. But I don't know, man. It would be a little bit embarrassing if it's like, oh, the greatest college football player ever. He's from Ohio. And Ohio State was like, ah, we don't need him. That would be worse. It's going to be really funny now with Drew Aller being at Penn State developing into a five-star. So, yeah, to that point. Um, It's very weird. I want to acknowledge that part first. But it's just weird enough that it needs to be on this list. Because you know what Ohio State would love to have right now for this 2023 recruiting class? A Joe Burrow. Yeah, for real. <laughs> like, so, yeah, that matters a little bit. A guy who understands that he's not going to play in year two. He might not play until year three or four or might not play at all and need to transfer. But the development is all there. Yes, I agree with this wholeheartedly. The number 280 player in the class of 2015. And there was, if there was a quarterback from Ohio – who is the number 280 player in the class of 2023. They would have a red carpet rolled out from the Woody to his front door for him. to, And like, they're trying to do that with guys from all over the country because there's Mm -hmm. not really that guy. Like there's not really the in-state fit for that. So thank you for acknowledging that it's weird, but acceptable. I have three more names. Are there any more names that you wanted to throw out there? Throw on this list. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we need to do long soliloquies about him, but Raekwon McMillan needs to be mentioned. Yep. I mean, five-star national kid with no real ties here. Um, Marshawn Lattimore as kind of like the last hurrah of Glenville. Now, it looks like that's getting restarted here, but uh, I think that's important. Um, he needs to be mentioned. Um, we can mention Zeke because of the story of like, oh, I don't believe that Ohio State's going to use its running backs the right way. And if he goes on to have three straight 200-yard games and wins them a national title, that deserves to be mentioned. Um, and then Okuda should also just be mentioned as like the cornerback version of Chase Young, where it's like, yeah, Kerry Combs had been developing some guys, but like Jeff Okuda is the number one cornerback in the country. He's from Texas, and there's no reason he should be wanting to come here. I'll buy all those. Zeke was on my list. Again, that, that's like a Pantone. There was some higher rated running backs who wanted to come yep. here. Pantone really liked Ezekiel Elliott's film. And they sort of said, you know, he's not as high in the recruiting rankings, but he's the guy we want. The other two guys that I had on my list, Chris Olave, just because it's almost like a legendary story that sort of is, it's almost like if you talked about Ryan Day, the recruiter, I think the Chris Olave, hey, I went to watch Jack Tuttle. And I said, at this San Diego high school, Jack Tuttle, a quarterback recruit. And I said, who's this guy he's throwing to? And it was Chris Olave. And that Ryan Day just sort of found him. And then look what Chris Olave became. Again, like would Ohio State be lost without Chris Olave? I mean, probably not. But man, he was really good for four years. And he he helped him as a true freshman. But it also is part of, it's part of the legend of Ryan Day. Because Ryan Day was a really good recruiter as an assistant. He was a really good recruiter. And And I'm sure like Ryan Day, tells that story when he needs to. So I just think from that aspect. And then the other one is Dewan Jones, because if they're going to start to believe in the diamond in like the incredible rough, like a kid ranked in the thousands, 
a kid who's a two star, a kid who barely plays football, a kid that is all traits and not much film, like all that kind of stuff. If they head down that road because Dewan Jones worked, I like that road. I think it's an interesting road. I think it's a road that Ohio State should like probably at least once every two years take a kid like that because mm-hmm. you might have it be Dewan Jones. So, you know, and again, I feel like any tackle is like, and he's a tackle who plays, which, oh my God, yeah. is is worth five <laughs> times any other position at Ohio State right now. Where would they be without Dewan Jones? But it's a style of recruit that I think they should keep an eye out for. And it's nice when you have it hit. If you re-rank the 2019 recruiting class for Ohio State, is Dewan Jones third or fourth? Behind like Garrett Wilson, Zach, Zach Harrison, and Jamison Williams. Yeah. And even if you think about like contributions to Ohio state, he's probably third and he's last. Right. I mean, he's last on the actual recruiting list. You have to like like, click on his name to see what his national ranking is. It just says non applicable when you're looking at the entire recruiting class. Yeah. What is it? Is there a number when you click on it? There is. Give me two seconds here because it's 1043 and 86 among offensive tackles. 1,040. I think like Dewan Jones should probably have 1,043 tattooed on his body somewhere. I think that would be a good thing for him to get. Uh, ask him if you see him. I'll ask. Okay. Him. Or I'll get it. I'll get 1,000. Be like, hey, Doug, why do you have a tattoo of 1,043? Be like, oh, it's Dewan Jones' recruiting ranking. It's just a shout never, out to that guy. They're never letting you back in the woody again. If you can I know. Hey, Dewan. Hey, Dewan. <laughs> Look, I got a tattoo. Uh, could I have security over here, please? <laughs> Okay, that's our list. Number one, Vaughn Bell. Number two, C.J. Stroud. Number three, Paris Johnson. Number four, Chase Young. Number five, Trevon Henderson. Number six, Garrett Wilson. Number seven, Jack Sawyer. Number eight, Dylan Rayola. Number nine, Joey Bosa. Number 10, Thayer Munford slash Michael Jordan. Uh, number Now we're like in bonus territory. Number 11, Sean Wade. Number 12, J.K. Dobbins. Number 13, Dwayne Haskins. Number 14, Joe Burrow. Also mentioned, Raekwon McMillan, Marshawn Lattimore, Jeff Okuda. Chris Olave, Ezekiel Elliott, and Dewan Jones. If you guys have someone that you think we left out, send us a text at 614-350-3315. I don't think the people who cover recruiting Steven would have giant disagreements with like our top 10, right? I mean, I think Von Bell, CJ Stroud, Paris Johnson, Travion Chase, that's like all in the, that's that kind of range right there. Um, so I hope you I hope you guys listen and got a feel for what we're talking about here. It's the impact of the player, but it's also the impact of the get and what it showed Ohio State, what it meant for Ohio State, what it led to for Ohio State. We always like uh, bringing you this recruiting content. Again, you guys get it on the text when Steven's out live doing stuff, when there's commitments coming down the pike, you get it at cleveland.com slash OSU, where you can read about it when Steven writes about it. And we certainly appreciate you guys making us part of your Ohio State recruiting life. For Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>